Welcome back to The Uncover Up. I'm Elena Papianis. I'm here with Nathan Radke and Lee Kuma. Hey, yeah. Hello. I have emerged from underneath my big pile of marking, but um, unfortunately I have not emerged very, you know, too gloriously because I'm pretty sick right now. Yeah, but it took its toll. Yeah, it took its toll. But um, I've been wondering what I've missed this whole time, though. Oh, man. You missed some stuff. Some shenanigans. She yeah. missed shenanigans. That you know, I hate missing shenanigans. The the only thing I have been thinking about since the last time we recorded our podcast was that the Americans tried to blow up the moon. They tried yeah. to nuke the moon. They tried to nuke the moon. I think that's the takeaway from last week. Yeah, yeah. That's the fair. Americans that's tried one. to nuke the moon. That's the headline. Yeah, like that's that's the grabber. Mm-hmm. And then I think the fine print is that there was a bunch of kind of nonsense that went along with the early space program in the 50s and 60s. A lot of lies, a lot of cover-ups, a lot of very elaborate and expensive dog murder. We should maybe put people in the picture. So this is part two (laughs) of an episode on whether the moon landing was for real or faked. And last week, Nathan and I, in the absence of Elena, who was struggling with all that marking... Uh, went through a bit of the backstory, a bit of the history of the 1950s Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union. And I have to say, I learned a lot. I was surprised. Let me actually ask Elena, who do you think, you know, just naively, between the Russians and the Americans, who put the first thing in space? You well, probably the, know this. Yeah, the Russians did. They were they were clearly winning the space race. They were clearly they winning. Were. They, they were just, killing it. One, yeah. two, three. They put, uh, Nathan, what was it again? First uh, satellite, which was Sputnik. First animal other than a Lake fruit fly, because the, dog, the, yeah. the Americans had put fruit flies in a German V-2 rocket and sent them up into space. Without helmets. Without as helmets. You, as you noted. Without tiny little fly helmets. Uh, first dog, sort of, because the dog... Mm-hmm tragically died fairly early on and then they lied about it for decades uh first human being uh yeah the americans were basically getting clobbered by the soviets in this space race and from the american perspective because of course this was during the cold war and everyone in the world was trying to decide okay who's our team are we team commie or are we team capitalist and this was sort of the most obvious the most out in the open and the most impressive competition that the two sides could have and of course they couldn't fight each other directly like mm-hmm. normal countries because of the cold war yeah and the and and what that entailed was nuclear bombs and totally assured destruction exactly mm-hmm. with the amazing acronym of mad which so, really takes you into the psyche of that time yeah. so they couldn't fight normal so they had to fight weird and <laughs> the, ultimately this was just the way i think the most famous way they did it and what we found when we were researching this is that there was Very little political motivation behind the space race that had to do with exploration or scientific advancement. It was really a very symbolic act that they Mm. were trying to pull off. And then they decided sort of arbitrarily, you know what the finish line is going to be? Finish line is going to be put a guy in the moon, get the guy back. Um, I can't get my mind off the image of, uh, well, when you said fight weird, the immediate thing that came to my mind was giraffes. Because don't they fight weird? They Just do like fight weird. Whacking yeah. their necks against each other. It's so awkward. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of leg. It's a lot of neck. It looks it looks rough. And that's sort of how awkward the Cold War yeah. was in so many ways, too. Yeah. It was sort of a giraffe fight. So this week, then, we've now moved on from just talking about the backstory. And it's kind of timely, isn't it, Elena? You, you were bringing yeah. in some pop culture news. Well, Steph Curry has now 
come out. Was it just a single interview? I can't remember. It was a multiple. It was on ones. a podcast. Yeah. Oh, that's right. And but now it's been like quoted in multiple sources that he thought that the moon landing was faked. Now he's come out to say that he was just joking. But you know, who knows what his real thoughts were when he said that. And the thing is, like a lot of conspiracy theories, I am sympathetic. First of all, as we talked about in the last episode, tons of shenanigans, Mm -hmm. tons of lies, tons of cover-ups. And then if you think about the 1970s, which is really when most of the the theoretical moon landings took place, we've got uh, Watergate going on, where we've learned about uh, the Tuskegee syphilis experiment. COINTELPRO. COINTELPRO. Like, there was so many examples Mm -hmm. of... Uh, in particular, the American government lying about things that I like if if somebody says I am suspicious that the Americans didn't land on the moon, you know, I'm willing to listen to that argument, which is what we've done. We've listened to, I think, pretty much all of the arguments. Well, we got a good backstory. I think what what I came to last week is I, I understood why the Americans would lie or why one would imagine that they lied. But I think this week, we want to really get through some of the claims, right? The evidence Mm -hmm. that people have for why the moon landing was faked. Is that right? Yeah, we're really going to basically just dig down on all of the premises, all of the reasons why people say this is why they think the moon landing did not take place. And when you look at them all in a row, and you don't sort of dig into them yet, I'm just going to list some of them. I mean, it starts to sound like there is a ton of evidence that the Americans didn't land on the moon. Uh, The flag is waving. The famous flag that they planted on the moon, it's waving, even though there is no atmosphere on the moon. And of course, atmosphere is what causes flags to wave here on Earth. There's no stars in the photographs. Hmm. And if I know anything about space... I know there's there's stars stars in space, right? Yeah. I love stars. Uh, There's no blast crater from when the lander lands on the moon. Uh, The Van Allen belt uh, is something that I'm going to have to get into. It's pretty complicated, but basically it's just two murderous donuts that circle the Earth constantly crosshairs on the photographs mm-hmm. are sort of behaving a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. There's problems with the shadows in the pictures, uh, the fact that there's no rocket noise in the transmissions that you're hearing from the lunar lander. There's problems with the footprints, and there's some dust issues. And uh, are we getting into the moon rocks? We might, because we, that's another problem. And we might get into some moon rocks. Not to mention, if you watch The Shining, mm. oh yeah, there's a bunch of nonsense. That apparently indicates that Kubrick... That Stanley Kubrick himself maybe... Directed and filmed the actual faked, I guess. The actual (laughs) faked. Okay. Well, who else back then would have had that kind of skill? I mean, he had done 2001, which even today holds up pretty well. One of my favorite films. Uh, And then the other argument that I've come across is that people say, how could we go to the moon? The Earth is flat. Uh, That one makes me sad. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's... Maybe we'll do a whole episode on the flat Earth. Yeah. So, I mean, ignoring the flat earth theory, ignoring the Stanley Kubrick speculation, we're still left with some genuine evidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Scientific evidence. And so I guess the best way to do this is like, let's just go through all Break of these. Break them down. We've, okay. we've got the background. We've got the motivation. Now mm-hmm. let's just like sort of dig in on the specifics. Can I just interject here? because this sometimes gets lost, I think, in what we do, is that this is often our primary method for figuring things out. Yeah. Uh, we take what I've discovered, and I, you, you guys can back me up on this or tell me I'm wrong, but what I've discovered is that when you talk to somebody who's into a conspiracy theory and they provide you with all this evidence, just like Nathan just did with all these claims, it really is too overwhelming to deal with it. When you take each of the claims individually, 
and just work through them one by one, I think it's a much easier way of deconstructing the phenomenon and determining whether it's real or fake. Yeah, I've got them all written down right here. What we'll do is we'll go through, we'll sort of take turns examining them, Mm. and then after we examine them, we'll decide, okay, do we accept this as evidence or do we reject it? If we reject it, I'm going to cross it off on my piece of paper, and at the end of the podcast, we'll have some things that are not crossed off, and we'll decide, is this enough evidence for us to agree that the Americans faked the moon landing? And then I'll post that on Instagram. (laughs) Post it on Instagram. Um, Not to be too tedious here, what's the criteria for whether we accept or reject? I would say if there are multiple explanations for something, let's say we're doing waving flag. Maybe we'll mm-hmm. open with that one because it's okay. it's such a powerful image. Mm-hmm. If we can find an explanation for why that flag is waving that doesn't involve uh, wind and like faking the whole thing, basically we'll use Occam's razor. If there's a simple explanation, yeah. then we'll say we don't necessarily need this very elaborate concoction of an explanation if there is genuinely a good reason for what we've seen. Okay, because at the end, what we can do is sort of uh, do play that what's more likely game, right? What's more likely that they fake the moon landing and all the thousands or tens of thousands of people that would have had to have been involved, tens of or thousands. that this simple explanation that we've discovered is probably why, say, the flag waves or whatever. Yeah, and we're not testing to see if the American government is always truthful. Because they aren't. Mm -hmm. We're not even testing to see if there are no conspiracies or lies about the space program. Because there clearly is. Mm -hmm. We're just asking a very specific question today. Is there good evidence that the Americans did not land on the moon? Okay, let's do it. Yeah, what do we want? Why don't we open with the waving flag? Okay, so what's the deal? What's the problem? I mean, Nathan already set it up a little bit. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the flag does appear to wave once it's planted in there. But first of all, it's not sort of a typical flag with just a vertical pole. It's also got a horizontal one at the top, um, which you might not notice if someone's just looking at the photo, they might not realize that. And so really what it is, it looks like it's responding to some sort of breeze, which would only be able to happen if there was atmosphere. Um, And so conspiracy theorists would say, well, it shouldn't wave if there's no, if it's in a vacuum. But And and we have seen footage of it flapping around yeah it very it looks like it is right and, and in it still is. photographs yeah. it's kind of rumpled and mm-hmm. kind of looks like it's flapping around and since there's no atmosphere on the moon how is that possible then and the counterclaim as i understand it by conspiracy theorists um at least some of them is that this was filmed uh maybe by kubrick in area 51 in the nevada desert and, and a breeze came through mm-hmm. and a breeze came through yeah and nobody really thought to edit that out maybe they weren't paying attention they didn't realize and so there's this little um, glimmer, little slip. yeah, a yeah. slip that allows us to see that, in fact, the moon landing was faked. Right. When all it really was is that um, the flag keeps waving in response to the momentum created by actually planting it and twisting it into the surface of the moon. And this has been tested in a vacuum. There's actually, if anyone wants to watch video of its recreation there's a mythbusters episode where mm-hmm. they they go to nasa and they make a create a vacuum and and recreate this whole thing and you can see that the flag continues to wave for momentum quite a few seconds after it's been planted and twisted into the ground so it's because they actually physically move the flag with their arms and mm-hmm. that's why it waves so you're twisting the flagpole which is going to make the flag flap around and then but it, i mean it flaps a lot it does, but it, it flaps a lot. So after they stop twisting, 
Uh, it's just the momentum from the fact that there's this top pole in the flag as mm. well, keeping it straight as well. That's creating the, the movement. Oh. I saw the Mythbusters episode as well in preparation for this. And I'm just curious what you both think of this. If NASA faked the moon landing, can we go to NASA to ask them to corroborate their evidence? Well, if they faked it in the 1960s, oh, there would be okay. an, like an entirely different group of people at mm -hmm. this now. And not only that, I mean, like in that footage, you could actually see the flag. You could see it in the vacuum chamber. And also, we can just use our reason here. Like okay. we know how kinetic energy works. Yeah. We know that if you hang something out and you wave it back and forth, even when there's no breeze, it's going to flop around for a bit. Right. That's a good point. And with no atmosphere and very little gravity... If anything, it would flap more than it would on Earth. So the fact that it was NASA's vacuum is not something that oh, should that's worry true. us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, vacuums are vacuums. Okay. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't know how you could have like a special conspiracy vacuum. All right. So then, huh? I mean, it's not that exciting of a punchline for this one, but um, but it's a very simple explanation, and much simpler than them faking the entire thing and right. filming it on a set. So basically what you're saying is you would expect the flag to move exactly the way it did in, those, in that right. footage if it was in a vacuum on the moon. Right. So what are you going to say, should I cross this one off then? Yeah, that's definitely not any support okay. in the evidence. But, I mean, that was just the first one. We've that's got just all, the first We've one. got a lot. We've got so many here. This, yeah. this conspiracy theory could still be in pretty good shape. Okay. In fact, there's another... What should we get to next? What about the no stars? I mean, that is pretty weird. At night, there's a lot of stars. If you, you know, obviously if it's not raining or whatever, overcast. Yeah, and of course, there's no atmosphere on the moon, so it's never going to rain. There's never going to be clouds. And... Where are the stars? Where are the stars, NASA? Exactly. Where are the stars? Where are the stars? <laughs> now, the conspiracy would say that NASA didn't want to include the stars. Because if they did, it would give away that they were, in fact, either on Earth or somehow you would be able to geolocate where the sorry where the uh, astronauts were, and so, you know. Yeah, because sailors used to use the stars to figure out where they were in the ocean. You can look in the sky. You know what day it was. Mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, if the stars are there at this day at this time, then they must be in Nevada in Area Fifty One. Yeah. Okay. Well, so. Do you, either of you guys are into photography at all? Or have I don't been? want to brag, but I have Instagram. <laughs> yeah. so okay, right. I have I'm an kind iPhone of a, You have an six. iPhone kind 6. Ooh. <laughs> you guys have seen deal. those ads, Fancy. haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so what do you do if you're taking a photo in a bright space? Well, how would you adjust an old school camera? You would actually have an old school camera over here. You would have to make sure that it wasn't open for very long. Right. You'd want like the, a smaller the, aperture in the same way that your eyes, if you're like going into a room that's bright, your pupils get smaller, right? To take in less light. Okay. Otherwise, you're just bombarded with light and yeah. you can't see anything. And so you'd have a smaller aperture and you'd have, a, like you said, a quicker shutter speed because you don't want to let a bunch of light in and just sort of white out the whole photo. A similar sort of setting would have been on the cameras on the moon. The moon surface is reflective. They were on the sunny side of the moon as well. So there was a lot of light reflecting. And their goal was to capture photos of the, of the moon's surface. So they would have been trying to take out all that extra brightness and light. And so that's why you don't see the stars in the background. So you're saying the exposure time is what prevents that those little pin, pinpricks of light, which are the stars, from actually appearing on... The negatives. Exposure like time, but also aperture 
dilation or uh, whatever yeah, you want to call dilation. it. Dilation. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So a, a tinier aperture, you're letting less light in. And you're also having a quicker shutter speed so that you let less light in and so that you can actually capture the surface of the moon because that was the purpose of the photo as well. So what if the cameras had been set so that they could have picked up the stars? They would, would have not seen, it would have been totally whited out, like totally, totally whited out the photo. It would have also whited out the surface of the moon as well. So you wouldn't have been able to see anything? No, it would have been just like blinding light in the same way if you were just walking into a bright room suddenly for a moment, you can't really see much. That would have been the same kind of... The mm. photo would have looked like that. Now, this is interesting because one of the main people who was behind this conspiracy was a guy called William Casing. Uh, he was an engineer for Rocketdyne, who they were the company that was sort of working on the, the Saturn V rockets. And he said this was the thing that immediately made him suspicious, that there were no stars in the pictures when he saw them. Mm -hmm. But Elena's explanation, not only does it make scientific sense, but it also, I've tried to take pictures of a nice night sky. Mm -hmm. And there was no stars in that picture because of exactly what you're saying with the aperture and the, and what was the other part? How long it's... The shutter speed. In the shutter speed. But when I saw that there were no stars in the night sky in the picture I took, I didn't think, wait, maybe I'm not on the earth. Maybe <laughs> right. this was faked. Right. Uh, well, that, that's a really good point. And I think what you're dealing with is today's technology. Yeah, and you this know, was I mean, 1960s technology. This is 1960s technology. Yes, it's the top of what they've got in the 1960s, but... You know, today we're walking around with really quite sophisticated computers. And if, if any of our listeners just flip through their um, photo albums on their phone, look at any night pictures, you don't see stars. And that's with today's, um, that's with today's camera quality. Unless you set them up specifically to mm -hmm. take right, stars. Of course, and yeah. then everything else will be blurry and washed out. Yeah. So I think the no stars... Uh, the fact that there are no stars in the official moon landing photographs is not a really convincing piece of evidence. What do you guys I think? I would agree. Yeah. All right, so I'll scratch that one out. So wave waving flag is out. No stars in the pictures is out. What else we got? Well, we still got, well, uh, like, we still have many, many left. <clears throat> this, this conspiracy has not been knocked back yet. And actually, we should probably say that uh, we're dealing with the most common ones, the uh, and I think also the most convincing ones, mm -hmm. but... Beyond what we have here, there's probably a list of another 20 or 30 claims that we just can't get into. Oh, sure. And people can email us or they can comment on Instagram if they have uh, other things that they're curious about having to do with the moon landing, and we can address those. And what is our email address, Nathan? Our email address... Let's tell Steph Curry so he knows. That's right. Is podcast at theuncoverup.com. Podcast what? at theuncoverup.com. And there you will... Be, you can email us and uh, ask all your moon landing and other conspiratorial questions. Yeah, and make sure you give us a code name so that we can protect your identity if we use your question. That's right. We still got lots left. How about shadow problems? Shadow problems. Shadow problems, because uh, there's a guy called Bart Sabrell, and Bart Sabrell has uh, done a lot of speaking engagements and written a lot of books and has a lot of videos saying that if you look at the photographs that are theoretically taken on the moon, what you see is that there seems to be more than one light source. Mm. They didn't bring any lights with them. They didn't mm. have any flashlights. They didn't have any flashes on their cameras. And yet an astronaut standing in the shadow of the moon lander will still be lit well enough so that you can make him out. Why mm. isn't he in complete blackness if there's no other light sources? Right. Huh? Yeah. Huh? NASA? Huh? NASA? <laughs> well, 
again, I mean, this one is also kind of compelling like the other two. If you go, again, scrolling through your own pictures, I mean, this is, I'm no good at photography and this happens to me all the time. So I have a ton of pictures of friends where they're standing in the shadow and of course I can't make them out. Because all I get is, you know, I'm in light, they're in shadow. I tried to take a picture of them. There was not enough light, and so they were in shadow. Well, if you look at some of the official moon landing pictures, the same kind of problem has arisen there where uh, one of the astronauts, and I, you know, they're wearing their gear, so I can't tell you which one, is getting out of the um, lander. And the lander is casting a shadow over the astronaut. Now, the person, the other astronaut taking the picture is standing in brightness taking a picture and yet unlike my pictures at home you can actually see that astronaut very clearly um no the argument is that's because it's on a hollywood set that's right there's like other lights that are hidden off screen and they that's are right. shining like a spotlight on that astronaut yeah because actually that's a good point if you think about a movie you generally don't unless it's like for a horror effect you generally don't have parts of the shot where you can't see people even if they're standing in shadows and that's done with multiple light sources mm -hmm. in a weird way there is another light source on the moon which is going to um clarify a lot of the problems that uh, the conspiracy theorists have with the pictures and that light source is the moon surface itself oh yeah the moon surface is super reflective uh, unlike the Earth's surface. So everything that you can see, you can see by virtue of it reflecting light, unless it itself is generating light. So the table, the uh, whatever wall, guitar, whatever you see in, in your house. The, there's a fun word for it. It's the albedo. It's yes. The I, it's the albedo? the albedo? I was a little... I was a little yeah. uh, oh, at least blushing. Yeah, I was a little, I was a little shy to say that. About his albedo. <laughs> <laughs> so something's reflectivity is its albedo. And... The moon's albedo is quite high, or it reflects quite a lot of the light that it gets. And so if you think it's almost this kind of chalky gray-white, and imagine uh, a surface on Earth, which is, you know, where you would have a white ground, and then you'd have somebody in a white suit, and then you're taking a picture of them, that, that reflective surface is going to uh, reflect a lot of the sunlight. And so in fact... The phenomena that you're going to see on Earth where people are standing in the shadows and you can't see them when you take a picture isn't going to be that noticeable on the moon. Well, not only that, but the moon's surface is so uneven. There's so many craters and hills and valleys that I imagine its albedo is just running wild. <laughs> like it would be bouncing all over the place. Well, that actually speaks to another... Uh, and I don't know if we have it yeah, on our we do. list. I think the parallel shadows. The oh, parallel yeah. shadows. Yeah, let's talk about that yeah. too. So, so related to this um, is again, if you look at the um, official NASA pictures and you look at the direction in which the shadows are uh, falling, it's kind of weird because they're going in all kinds of different directions. Now, again, if you imagine yourself standing on a bright sunny day, you and three friends are standing next to each other. All your shadows are going to be behind you if you're facing the sun. But on the moon. It's kind of weird. It's like it would be as if Nathan's shadow were ahead of him, Elena's shadow were behind her, mm -hmm. and mine were like off to the side somewhere. And again, that seems to point to different light sources. You would get that if you had light shining at us from all different directions. But Nathan already said it earlier that the answer here is that the uh, moon's surface is very uneven. And those shadows don't fall in a straight line if you're not standing on a straight surface. And that's about that. 
I know. I feel like we need a sound effect for these. You're like, wah, wah, or something for after everyone, because it feels so anticlimactic to say these like, it's simple. It's the topography. And then you're like, the end. Yeah. It just feels like. Wah, wah. Yeah. So I guess we could use the noise from like Family Feud. Oh, yeah. Is that just the. Yeah. Or the Price is Right, which would be the, the wah, wah. We'll come up with one. Yeah. We'll do one That's when one hits. Oh. Yeah. That's like ding, ding, ding. Yeah. All right. So. What are we doing with this one? What noise does that one get? <laughs> oh, all right. So, <laughs> thanks to our no, new knowledge, Wait, of we got we got Alvito. rid of two of them. There, we yeah. got rid of the yeah. shadow. Well, shadow issues is what I have. Shadow. There. Okay, shadow issues. Shadow issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. I mean, don't okay. we all have shadow issues? <laughs> but here's one I think that gets a little more complicated. I'm going to turn it over to Nathan. Nathan, you talked about some. Uh, human-eating, gobbling donuts that are circulating, circular orbiting, circular orbiting the Earth. <laughs> Sorry, this is going to be cut. Um, it's staying anyway. in. Okay, well, so there's some donuts that are pretty lethal. What's up? Yeah, murderous donuts. Okay. There are two murderous, sort of concentric, so one donut is tucked inside the other donut. And I keep saying donuts because that's sort of what I'm trying to get you to imagine now. Picture the Earth, which is basically a sphere, uh, hot take. Now, picture that Earth is sort of nestled like a turducken inside a like a deadly donut, and then around that deadly donut is a larger, slightly less deadly, but bigger donut. Are you imagining it? I am. Well, it's yeah, like a filled up donut, which makes me just think of a, like a loaf of bread. Except it does have that kind of donut shape for reasons that I'll explain. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So what this donut is made up of is... Like, the Earth has a magnetic field. You know, we have the, the North Pole and the South Pole are, the, yes. are basically the two poles of a, mag, of a massive magnet, which is okay. the Earth. And because the Earth is spinning, uh, and because it's got, like, this sort of iron core, there's a bunch of scientific reasons why the Earth has a magnetic field. The thing is, the Sun is also sort of trying to kill us all the time. It is sending off constant uh, particles, which are deadly radioactive particles, which... First of all, the, the solar wind should just rip the atmosphere right off the Earth, uh, which it has done to other planets. Like Mars has no atmosphere because of the solar wind. Hmm. But because we have this magnetic field, it protects us. It absorbs and traps those uh, radioactive particles, which protects our atmosphere and also protects us from the deadly doses that we would be getting from the sun. So it's fantastic. But the S problem is... Sounds like it's really radioactive. It is very radioactive because it traps them, but then they stay there huh. until they eventually decay because they don't have enough energy to escape the magnetic field, which means that it's great because all of the, uh, the dangerous radioactivity is, or most of it is prevented from getting to the Earth. But if you're trying to get off the Earth, you're going to have to fight your way through two murderous radioactive donuts. So you would have to go through this to get to the moon? Yeah, you'd have to go through both of them. So how come they didn't all die of radiation poisoning? Well, the story... NASA. The, yeah, NASA. The story behind this is fascinating. Uh, it's discovered by uh, a bunch of people, led by a guy called uh, James Van Allen, who then gets to name it after himself in 1958. And they realize they're probably at some point going to want to send people through it. But how? Now, the first solution that they came up with will be not a surprise at all to either of you because of the last episode. What is the most 1960s, early 1960s, what's the most early 1960s 
Cold War method you think that they would come up with to oh, be the solution to this problem? They're going to nuke it. Nuke it. Yeah, of course you got to nuke it. I'm like, oh, is there something that's a problem? Well, could nuking solve it? I love it. So in 1962, Van Allen himself is like, hey, I've got an idea. Why don't we just nuke that belt? That's right. Nuke it. Yep. Because we can, of course, send a rocket that high. We could put a massive uh, nuclear device on it. And by exploding it in the belt, maybe it would provide enough energy to those particles that they would be able to escape and disperse and go out into the, uh, into the world. It'll be great. Sorry, this is, I'm just going to geek out a little bit here. Is this also part of this theory to get rid of uh, Soviet um, nuclear missiles? Because there was a, an American scientist in the 50s who suggested sending up nuclear bombs as a defense against Soviet nuclear bombs. So yep. is this the guy? Oh, no, this isn't the same guy, but it's oh, the no. same, same, it's a similar... <laughs> it's a different guy who wanted to nuke the atmosphere. It was okay, sorry. Basically like the Swiss army knife of solutions was the <laughs> nuclear explosion. <laughs> okay. To the point that, I'm really going to go off sideways here, but to the point that they had a program called Operation, uh, or Project Plowshare. And the idea of Project Plowshare was, you know, we have all this sort of rocky terrain and deserts and stuff. How could we turn those into fertile farmlands? What if we buried a bunch of nuclear bombs and exploded them and basically flipped them over. What is wrong with people? We had a lot of nukes, and we had to use them for something. Uh, they didn't follow up with that, obviously. Wow. So, yeah, the idea that they'd nuke it, it's like, sure, we're going to nuke whatever you got. Sure, let's nuke it. Whatever okay. you got. So they nuked it. No, they decided, oh. wait, that's a terrible idea. And the reason <laughs> okay. they decided that is because there was another project they had going on, asking the question... Like, this isn't even the same project. At the same time, in 1962, there was another project where they were like, hey, what happens if we just nuke space? And it was called uh, Starfish Prime, which is cool. And they sent uh, a, a nuclear device 400 kilometers up. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's about 200 kilometers uh, for, uh, closer to the Earth than the inner belt. The inner belt's about 1,000 kilometers to 6,000 kilometers. I see. So they send a nuke up 400 kilometers, explode it, it made some very impressive uh, northern lights and filled the inner belt with even more radiation to the point where like, oh, oops, oh, we've made this donut more poisonous. Now, that had dissipated. It took five years. But after five years, finally, the radioactivity from Starfish Prime dissipated from the inner belt. So it's probably wow. for the best they didn't try to nuke their way through. Okay. Let that be a lesson to everybody listening. <laughs> you can't just nuke your way through problems no. <laughs> as much as you would like to. So how come they didn't die, the astronauts? Or did they just not go? Well, uh, I've looked into it a lot. I've read uh, the uh, Apollo Experience Report, which was written after all of the space flights where they examined the effect of the Van Allen belt on the astronauts. And basically they planned it uh, in a bunch of different ways. One, they had a trajectory so that it would not go through the more dangerous parts of the inner or outer belt. They also tried to make sure that they wouldn't spend much time in the inner belt because the inner belt is so much more radioactive. And the the protection of the suits gave them like a little bit of a protection. The capsule gave them, again, a little bit of protection, but they were basically able to go through a part that wasn't that dangerous. Uh, they still did get a certain amount of radiation. Uh, Apollo 14 were the ones who got the most radiation at 1.14 rads. I don't know if that means anything to anybody, but basically two and a half rads would get you really sick. Hmm. 1.14 rads, that's kind of like getting a, 
like a CAT scan, basically. Mm-hmm. You, oh, okay. you got a CT scan. So you wouldn't want to do it very often, but it's not lethal doses. Okay. So basically, that's the explanation uh, that the astronauts did get some radiation, but not enough to be dangerous. And they went through uh, a thinner part of it. They went through very quickly. And they also made sure to go at a time when there wasn't a lot of solar activity, which would have generated more radioactivity in those belts. Right. Okay. All right. What, what do you to, think, I think Elena? we need to cross that one off, too. Yeah? Yeah, I think it's got to go. All right. Ben Ellen belt crossed off. We still have lots left. Um, how about footprint issues? Footprint, footprint issues. issues. Yeah, so the footprint, have you seen, we've all seen the photo. Oh, yeah. Of yeah. Um, so some of our listeners, if they haven't, you should look it up. Um, so the footprint that appears on the moon is very detailed. Like, it's, it looks... It looks like it's in some like moist sand somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's super distinct. Super, yeah, super pristine, super distinct. And so conspiracy theorists would say that would require some moisture and there shouldn't be any moisture oh, in yeah. the atmosphere of the moon. So therefore, this must be faked. It must yeah, have been done somewhere on Earth. When I go for a walk on a beach, which given which, where which we live. Does. Yeah, well, given where we live does not come up very mm-hmm. often. But he is a real beach bunny. It has happened before that I've been on the beach and I've gone for a walk and when I came back, my footprints were no longer there. I mean, if you walk in dry sand, your footprints do yeah. not stick around. No, right, they're gone. They're gone. And yeah. that's by the ocean where there is some humidity in the air and I guess probably in the sand. So how come, yeah, how come the footprints on Earth when I go for a walk in the sand, they disappear immediately. And this footprint on the moon has been there forever, probably still there. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, NASA. So, What's with the footprint? Yeah, yeah NASA. NASA. So on Earth, all of our soil and dirt and sand of all those things, uh, because of erosion, because of weather, wind, water, all those things, um, they're essentially rounded. And so they move. They can move a lot. So if you put a footprint... In this dry talk, sand. You mean the particles? The particles, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like sand particles are yeah. round. Yeah. So they're essentially sort of rounded out due to things like erosion mm. and and uh, just normal sort of earth stuff. Mm. Um, but it's on a very the moon, active place the earth. Yeah. Yep. Um, but on the moon, the it's called regolith, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, the surface of the moon, what appears there, it's like jagged. It doesn't have. It doesn't have. It's not uh, um, been. It hasn't been. What's the word I'm looking exposed for? Exposed to elements. Yeah, exposed to the same elements. Right. So it's like jagged. It's rough. And so when you do put some sort of print in it, it essentially sort of creates a little structure that stays. Hmm. Like Lego sticks together. Right. Mm. Little so, jagged bits fall into other sort of crevices and it gets all like jammed in I there. See. So it ends up sticking together in a way that makes it look very distinct, like the footprint. So it reminds me a bit like talcum powder or flour. You know, if you have like mm-hmm. a pile of flour and you put a handprint in there, that stays. That doesn't just disappear, right? So That's is true. maybe the, re- what is it called? Regolith. Regolith. Is oh, that? all sorts of words today. I know. It's I kind know. of fun. Uh, the albedo of the regolith, you could Ooh. say. That sounds like a great album title. Yeah. For a terrible album. I'm still blushing, though. I don't know. <laughs> um, so it just has basically a different molecular structure yes. than sand. Yep. That makes it actually stick together and and stay and maintain the structure of whatever print you would put in it. So it's exactly what you would expect would happen. Exactly what you expect would happen. Huh. So what happens with this one then? Oh, man. Okay. Okay. Another thing that people have commented on is that in the pictures of the 
feet of the lander. Hmm. They are very clean. There's no dust on top of the feet. And of course, we know on Earth, if I stand somewhere dusty, my, the top of my feet are going to get covered in dust. And yet when we look, they argue that the surface of the moon is dusty. And yet there isn't a speck of dust on the tops of the feet of the lander. Wouldn't this be even more so since they came plummeting from, I guess, what, what would you say for the moon the outer space of the moon like the outer atmosphere of the moon I mean, they came from the sky mm-hmm. of the moon and they come dropping down here there's got to be a big dust cloud yeah. that they kick up when they land yeah, no? yeah which would then yeah, settle NASA. on top of the f- yeah yeah where's the dust nasa <laughs> <laughs> well i think that there's sort of a common theme that's kind of starting to emerge here and that's the moon is a different place mm. than the earth yep and so things behave more like in a different fashion than mm-hmm. they do there than they do here. That's things like the regolith. We're expecting our footprints to behave like they would uh, on Earth, but of course it isn't the Earth. I think the same thing is true of the dust cloud. The reason that the top of my boots gets covered in dust is because when I put my foot down on the ground, I displace air, and then that air rushes back, uh-huh. and that air brings mm-hmm. dust particles with it. But so on the moon, that's not going to happen. There you, isn't an atmosphere. You need an atmosphere... For that to happen? Yeah, otherwise the dust would just sort of drift away. Of course. But it wouldn't curl around again and then land on Uh, top. Of course not, yes. So, yeah, just a little side note. But still, speaking of uh, the lander... What about the blast crater? Yeah, what about the blast crater? Because in the... Like, even in the scientific illustrations that NASA did before the moon landing even happened, they were very exciting and very 1960s. And it showed the lander landing and like a big crater forming underneath. And yet when we look at the footage, there's no crater. What's the deal with that? What's the deal with no crater, NASA? What's the deal with... Where's the crater, NASA? (laughs) And I looked into this one, and this one isn't going to take very long. When I was a kid, I went to a lot of air shows. And there's a kind of plane called the Harrier. It's a British jet. And the Harrier was kind of famous because unlike most jets, which have to have a runway to take off, the Harrier has VTOL, vertical takeoff and landing. And it can just sort of hover. It can land straight. It can take off straight. It doesn't need to sort of taxi along runway first. And I had one of those land right in front of me. It was unbelievably noisy. It was powerful. It's a big, heavy, armored fighter plane. But it did not cause a blast crater in the ground. And that would have been probably, I don't know, like 20,000 foot-pounds of, of pressure. Well, I looked into it. Uh, the lander landed with only about 3,000 foot-pounds of pressure um, because uh, like it only needed 3,000 pounds of pressure because, of course, the gravity on the moon is one-sixth that of Earth. Mm-hmm. And so on Earth, you'd need a ton of pressure to make sure you didn't crash into mm-hmm. the moon at a high speed but there's so little gravity there that you could use a lot less force in order to land. And because they're landing on solid rock, like that is not enough force. That is not enough pressure. That's not enough energy to cause any kind of crater in solid rock. It's just going to push a little bit of dust out of the way and that's it. So you're saying if the airplane on Earth didn't cause a crater... With a far more powerful engine. Then the moon lander would not have either. Yeah. So that one... What's your noise for this one? Wah, wah. No blast crater. Okay, we still got some stuff. There's still some hope for this conspiracy. This is a very visual one. This is going to be a hard one to understand. So what I recommend is that people like Google an image of this. 
What about the crosshairs? Who wants to take a stab at explaining this? I mean, just visually, from what I recall, I don't necessarily know everything about it, but uh, so crosshairs that typically they should appear um, in front of images, right? Because That's it should right. be on the surface of the camera lens. Yeah, or, it's carved right, right there on the lens. So then in every photo, the uh, crosshairs should appear on top of objects. But there's some images where it's a bit questionable or or maybe part of the crosshair appears to kind of be tucked in behind an object that then takes up the foreground instead yeah. of the crosshair. Ooh, that was well explained. No, it's very well explained. I think there's some with the um, American flag. Yep. And if you look at it, the crosshair is clearly being covered by the American flag. And that's impossible because yeah. anything that is carved into the lens is by definition going to appear... Like if I scratch a little happy face on the lens of my camera, every one of my pictures is going to have a little happy mm. face in front of everything. So the conspiracy theorists, as I understand it, claim that this is another piece of evidence that suggests that uh, this was shot on a soundstage and those crosshairs are actually part of the set to help the camera crew orient their cameras and get the right shots and then I guess somebody forgot to, you know, remove it like just like Idiot. With, right? <sighs> These these guys can't run a conspiracy if their life depended on it. Yeah, yeah, somebody put like a like a radio or some other kind of equipment in the wrong spot, and it's covering the crosshair. So what about the crosshairs, NASA? What about the crosshairs, NASA? Yeah, NASA. Yeah, NASA. What about the crosshairs? <laughs> so what about the crosshairs? Well, Elena is probably going to be able to do better on the technical side of it. Um, basically, she's already given the explanation with uh, overexposure. Because if you look at where the crosshairs get covered, it's only white colored objects. So with the flag, for example, it's the white stripes of the flag where the crosshair seems to be covered. And it's just simply a question of overexposure um, where some things just disappeared. So what when you look at the crosshair, you see two thirds of it on a darker surface and then the one piece the one third or whatever that seems to be covered up is being blended out by the overexposure that makes a lot of sense that and makes that, perfect sense that fits uh, in with what we've yeah. already talked about with it's cameras just been and exposure. essentially whited out been washed out it, so, so if there's a crosshair directly over the american flag for example you would see the crosshair for the red stripes yes mm -hmm. but you wouldn't see it for the, for white, the white stripes, stripes. because the whites reflect more light and would bleed through exactly or if the crosshair is on the um, astronaut's suit, suit because yeah. the suit was white oh yeah so this is actually a pretty good tip for any of our listeners who are trying to appear younger than they are on say a dating site <laughs> if you overexpose your selfie, then your wrinkles will kind of like... Oh, yeah, yeah, excellent. Out. Yeah, they'll sort of wash out. Mm -hmm. well, that's a good tip. Um, so it's a good tip, but is it good evidence for a conspiracy? I don't think it's no. good evidence for a conspiracy. Can I just um, fill our listeners in on something that they would not have seen, which was the, the look of relief on Elena's face when she got the solution to this problem. And, mm -hmm. you know, I share that... I've shared that with this conspiracy because some of these claims, when you hear them, are pretty compelling. Yeah. How is it that these crosshairs end up yeah, behind how stuff? How do they disappear? How, how is they... it that a flag can wave in a vacuum? How come you can land a basically a piece of a spaceship without a crater? And I do feel like a lot of these, when you just hear them like that, are pretty compelling. And the solutions aren't that obvious. They're simple enough once you know the answer. And it's... 
I also feel relief when I get there, like, yeah. when I gotta get the answer. But I can to go back to uh, Nathan's earlier point. I can see how people get, you know, seduced by these ideas, especially it, with this long list, this yeah. long yeah. compelling list, which is yeah. getting real short at this it point. Is, actually, yeah. we got like, one or two more things left. Yeah. And like, I feel like the ones we have left, the, the really compelling ones have been knocked down and the ones we have mm-hmm. left, uh, eh. some people have said that there's no rocket noise when you hear the, the conversations, uh, between the astronauts and mission control, you can't hear the rocket noise and the rocket should be unbelievably loud because rockets fire at like 140 decibels. There's a couple of reasons. One, sound doesn't travel very well in space because, again, it's a vacuum mm. and sound needs some kind of medium to travel through. And the other thing is that they they didn't have like a just sort of one microphone hanging in the boom capsule. Mics, yeah. yeah, they didn't have boom yeah. mics that were catching or everything. Or did they? Was it That's all? That's right. Oh. <laughs> they may or may not have had boom mics, yeah. but what they certainly had was just little tiny unidirectional mics that were right up against the astronauts' mouths. And those are designed to only pick up what's sort of immediately within the radius of the microphone. That's how microphones are designed. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. That's why right now as we we record this, you can hear Lee's dulcet tones, (laughs) but you don't really hear any of the background noise, cars honking or birds chirping or gunfire or anything else that's happening around us. That's right. Um, I have another thing that I want to ask you guys about. So... I don't know. I don't remember. You'll probably know who, what his name is, but who's the guy who came up with like an equation to figure out how long a secret like this would have had to have right. been kept. We need to look into that right now. Cause yeah. that, I think this is an exact, an excellent time to bring that up. So I, I, in my conspiracy notebook, which I weirdly didn't bring today, I have his name. I feel like it's Mark something. It is David something. Hmm. David Grimes from Austin. Grimes. Oh, yes, Grimes. Okay. Good old Grimes. Yeah, good old Grimey, as he yeah, likes grimy. to be called. He figured out, yeah, essentially how many years a secret could be kept based on how many people would this be aware of this secret. David Grimes. Grimes. Yeah, so... Because we're lousy at keeping secrets. Yeah. When we talked about the Illuminati, that was the thing that, that blew up the original Bavarian Illuminati, mm-hmm. is that people can't keep a secret. They got to 3,000 people... And that was great. And that's too many. That's too many. Yeah. So there's, as Elena was saying, there's this um, researcher uh, whose name is David Grimes. Dr. David Grimes. Dr. Dr. Professor David Grimes to us. Um, And uh, he is a researcher in physics, I think, at Bristol University. Oxford. Oxford. It's going well. Well, okay. We, we gave you enough to Google him. And he came up with an equation where he says that. Basically, the point of the equation is the more people who are involved in a conspiracy, the less time that that conspiracy is going to be able to stay quiet because somebody at some point is going to spill the beans. And so he has sort of dates for if this conspiracy were a genuine conspiracy and 10,000 people were involved, you know, it would have a... I guess, a a secret life of like the amount of time that it would be secret of two years or six months. So Nathan, did you see, did he give a... Yeah, wasn't it three and a half years or three years? About three and a half years. For for the moon landing. Yeah. Based on the immense amount of people that were working on this program. Because if you think about it, like they would all have to be in on it to a degree. Everybody working at Mission Control, either you were giving them like fake transmissions because they're all monitoring this. Right. And the Soviets are monitoring it. 
Like everybody's. That was the whole point again, right? Yeah. Was to get so the, the Soviets. Soviets would have to be in on it. Like everyone would have to be in on this, and we're bad at keeping secrets. Uh, some of the uh, examples that uh, Dr. Grimes used, uh, the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, mm. had about like a little less than four thousand people, and that was able to stay secret for about twenty-five years. Okay. But of course, there's an exponential problem. The more people you add, mm-hmm. the more likely it is that somebody's going to blab and the secret's going to come out. Mm-hmm. And so something like, uh, remember when the NSA surveillance project that, that Snowden mm-hmm. right. was the whistleblower mm-hmm. on? Yes. Well, there would have been like maybe, I don't know, like 20,000 people working on that. And that only lasted for a few years right. before okay. somebody came out. Right. So this seems to verify um, this researcher's formula that the more people who are involved, the less time that the conspiracy can stay secret Mm -hmm. and think about not just mission control like think about how many people would have been involved in faking the moon landing we've got boom mic operators we've got key grips we've got like all the editors Mm -hmm. all of the the producers set people people, bus drivers bus drivers the the people uh, as well what are those snack tables called oh oh Craft services. Yes. The craft services people. Right. There would have been like 40,000 people who would basically have to be in on this conspiracy. And I just, I don't see them Mm -hmm. keeping the secret. Okay. Now, what about people who say, well, if we went to the moon, then why haven't we gone back then, huh? Uh, That's true. Now, there's a conspiracy that I would love to be true, which is that there's monsters on the moon. And that's why we haven't been back. But I think... Think that there is a far more likely explanation for why we never return to the moon. You're looking at me as if I know the answer here. Um, I'm always looking at you like you know the answer. <laughs> uh, so I'm just going. I don't actually. I didn't do any research on this, but just based on what we talked about last week, uh, mm-hmm. last time we recorded, it seems that once you've done this as a, if it really was just a publicity stunt. I mean, it's an extremely expensive one, one from which you get very negligible scientific payback. I mean, it's not like, you know, bringing back some moon rocks Mm -hmm. really changed anything. So what's the purpose of going? I mean, the purpose was to show the Soviet Union that we had these great big rockets that could also Mm -hmm. reach Moscow. And hey, also that all of their space triumphs don't mean anything because we got the biggest one at the end. Mm -hmm. We won. We won. So what? I mean, what's left to do now? Yeah, that would be like if you win the race, and then you keep running the race. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you go for another lap yeah. and try and win again. Yeah. yeah, which maybe you could do just to like rub it in, but at some point, yeah. you know, nobody's going to care that you went across the finish line again. Once and you cut that ribbon, you can't uncut no. that ribbon. And in fact, actually, now that I think about it, it almost speaks more to the fact that we actually did do it. Yeah, that's true. Right, the fact that we didn't do it again, because because it wouldn't make sense if we hadn't actually done it. To keep trying to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And then isn't there something about the technology too behind it? Like the, we don't actually have the same rockets anymore or things have sort of been not lost along the way, but kind of disassembled, disassembled in a way that we, it would be a lot of work to actually do it again. Yeah. Because uh, the space shuttle program, which is the one that we grew up with, I mean, it, it didn't even get out past the Van Allen belt. Like it didn't even get past that first murderous donut. Mm Mm-hmm. The rockets that send the space shuttle up into space or any of the satellites that we send up are so much less powerful than the Saturn V rockets. Oh. We actually don't have rockets right now that could reach the moon. But maybe that, maybe but that the Russians do. We could ask no, them. No, <laughs> nobody's got them because there's just there's no reason to go. But right. because we don't have it right now, that doesn't mean that 
we couldn't build them again. It's just why bother? Also, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a rocket that powerful is kind of an environmental catastrophe if you think about it. Right. Like think about the the footage of it taking off, the billowing smoke and the flames and everything. Uh, these days, we're a bit more environmentally responsible. Mm-hmm. Huh. So what's left? We've got nothing. We've got the shining. The shining. The shining is left. And that is not great evidence. So what do we say about this conspiracy theory? Well... What should we tell Steph Curry? If you're listening, and we know you are Steph Curry, (laughs) I think very highly of you as a basketball player, and you also seem like a genuinely decent Mm -hmm. human being. But go Raptors, go. But anyways, yeah. Yeah, 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 besides that. Of course. Uh, So what do we think? Flat uh, flat Earth. (laughs) So what do we think? Yes, the Earth. No, just kidding. (laughs) That would be a shocker. (laughs) Did the Americans land on the moon? I don't think there's any good evidence to prove that we didn't, that they didn't. And I think that there's compelling reasons to think that we did. Mm -hmm. All right. So last time we looked at a ton of space shenanigans that were legitimate. Uh, But it does not seem like the moon landing was the greatest of all shenanigans. Mm -mm. It seems like in some ways it would have been harder to fake than to actually do it. Yeah. Yet isn't it about 20% of Americans believe, I think, that it's... Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised by that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's about the number. Could I, though... Because we feel now really confident, mm-hmm. or pretty confident, that we've sort of solved this. As confident as we get. I'm feeling pretty good right now. Yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and yet, I, I, I do want to um, point out a danger of um, that can happen with this kind of confidence that I discovered while I was doing some research for for this topic. And so I was going through, you know, I did a lot of um, uh, primary research, but I was looking also at other people debunking uh, the moon landing conspiracy. And one of the claims struck me as kind of dubious. Now, this is on, I guess, quote unquote, our side, the people who believe that the moon landing actually did happen. And they're providing, like we did, providing reasons and evidence for why they think it happened. But there's one piece of evidence that they provide that I want to be very skeptical about. um, Because as Nathan said uh, off air before we started recording, uh, doing a bad job of debunking is actually quite dangerous uh, mm-hmm. because it, I think it really robs a lot of credibility of the kind of work we do. The mistake being that people uh, uncritically just accept what they've heard, even people who are into debunking. So here's the thing. Apparently, um, the uh, astronauts left um, a, an object behind that if you shine a very powerful laser on, you will get a laser return. So the, the laser beam will uh, leave Earth, hit the object. It's a, it's a reflective thingy. It's like and a plate. It's a reflective plate. That's better. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> it's a thingy. It's, it's a, thingy. a thingy. It's a thingy with a high albedo. albedo. It's a thingy with a high albedo. So if you shine a laser, or that is to say, if a very powerful laser is shone exactly at this place, uh, it will um, return right back to where it was sent from. And, you know, that's proof. I mean, that's proof because it's not going to, you're not going to get a laser return just from the moon's surface. It has to be from this uh, human-made object that was left behind. Well, if you listen to some of the YouTubers debunking the moon landing, they will say things like, you can shine a laser at the moon and it will bounce back and you can prove to yourself that, you know, we went to the moon because obviously it only will come back if some man-made object, human-made object was left there. So you could take like the cat toy laser pointer that you have at home and just shoot the moon with it. And That's right. the moon will light up. Like yeah, if it, if it hits you in the eye, right. you know. Like, oh, ow. <laughs> okay, it's legit. 
So clearly those people have never actually gone through with that experiment because there is no way, no way that you would be able to find that little tiny plate that was left with your handheld laser, even if your laser was strong enough to get there. Which it wouldn't be. Mm-mm. And even if you held it in such a straight way that you would be able to get a return right back to you. So NASA can do this. They know where this plate is located. They have super strong lasers with super sensitive guiding equipment, and they can do this kind of experiment and get a return. And if you believe NASA, then so much the better. But I just wanted to point out that even for the, you know, the debunkers out there, sometimes we make the same kind of mistakes that lead people to believe false conspiracies. Yeah, it's something that we've said lots, is that you should be skeptical of official stories, and you should also be skeptical of conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's another good point. We should be careful when we're analyzing conspiracy theories, and we should also be similarly careful when we are looking at uh, debunkers on the other side, because there's a lot Mm -hmm. of bad information coming from everybody. Mm -hmm. All right, well... That's another one wrapped up. There we go. We should do a, a couple of plugs for our social media. Okay. So we're on Instagram at The Uncover Up. We are on Facebook at The Uncover Up. And Nathan, what's our email address again? Podcast at TheUncoverUp.com. Oh, we're also on Twitter at The Uncover Up. Yeah, I haven't gone on to that yet. What have we, what have we said? <laughs> not too much. Oh, okay. We're not that busy on Twitter. Yeah. I'd <laughs> uh, like to do some shout outs today to uh, three of our listeners, Felix, Judah, and Silas. Uh, they were the ones uh, who were super interested in uh, in this particular theory, and so this one's for those guys. Hey, guys. And uh, like we said, if you have anything that you'd like us to cover, if you have any questions for us, then contact us through any of those methods. And eventually, we're putting together an all-listener mail uh, podcast, which we'll be doing in the new year. Yeah, so send us your stuff, please. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We won't come looking for you. <laughs> 